Welcome to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. For over 30 years, Paul Stone has been seriously handicapping college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf. Over the past five seasons, spanning almost 600 releases, Paul has hit 55% against the spread in college football, gaining the respect of sports books and bettors throughout the world. He is monitored by highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Paul has also won two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests and finished in the top four in two others. Each week, Paul will provide exclusive handicapping insights on the podcast. To receive Paul's exact picks each week, you can sign up for member-only access at paulstonesports.org. Now, on to the show. A couple of weeks back on the Paul Stone Sports Podcast, I presented the title. It usually comes out in the wash with the central message being, don't get yourself in too much of a tizzy about some team being unjustly left out of college football's four-team playoff. Because things happen. You know, a loss here, a loss there, and the picture suddenly crystallizes and becomes clear. Also in that podcast delivered the week of Thanksgiving, I offered that Cincinnati would make the playoff by winning its final two games, in my opinion, while saying Oklahoma State might be its primary challenger should it defeat Oklahoma in Bedlam and then Baylor in the Big 12 title game one week later. Well, as fate would have it, Cincinnati uh, disposed of its two opponents, East Carolina and Houston, with relative ease, while Oklahoma State completed the first part of its mission by defeating rival Oklahoma in Bedlam but came up literally inches short against Baylor when Bears safety Jerron McVay stopped Oklahoma State running back Desmond Jackson just short of the goal line in the final seconds to preserve a 21-16 Baylor victory and prevent chaos, confusion, and potential uproar surrounding the playoffs' fourth and final participant. If, you know, if Oklahoma State would have scored, the 13-person college football playoff committee would have faced a very difficult decision. Take a Power 5, one-loss conference champion in, in Oklahoma State or select an undefeated group of five entry in Cincinnati. As history would have it, uh, like we said, it usually comes out in the wash. The committee wasn't faced with that decision. But had they been, it obviously would have been a very interesting and very controversial decision indeed. My thought is they would have selected Oklahoma State, uh, but not because of some conspiracy designed to exclude the group of five, uh, but rather because of a meritocracy uh, designed to include the most deserving teams. And even with that said, I'm excited to see Cincinnati break through, uh, get an invitation to college football's version of the Final Four, and I'm equally excited to see how the Bearcats fare against an Alabama team off one of the most impressive single-game performances by any team all season, last week's 41-24 dismantling of number one Georgia a bulldog defense described by some entering that game 
is one of the sport's most historic units in all time. But that was before the tide rolled to 536 total yards and put up 24 points in the second quarter alone, which was seven points more than any of the dogs' previous 12 opponents had scored in an entire game. So Kentucky had scored 17 against Georgia for the game, the most Georgia had given up in a game before playing Alabama last week. Alabama proceeds to score 24 points in the second quarter alone. Really uh, an impressive offensive showing by Alabama and complete game showing by Alabama for that matter. And now I think many are dismissing Georgia, much in the same fashion as some of us uh, had dismissed Alabama after it needed a near miracle to escape at Auburn two days after Thanksgiving. But I'll warn that it's a dangerous game to treat Georgia as an afterthought. Sports fans, even sports bettors, in my mind, tend to be short-sighted, being disproportionately impressed by that which we have seen most recently, what us bettors refer to as recency bias. Uh, Not to pick on one person, but ESPN college football analyst Robert Griffin III, he expressed his opinion in wake of the four-team playoff being announced by the committee and the seedings. Mr. Griffin expressed his opinion that Georgia should have been seeded fourth, in his opinion, and Cincinnati third. And not that the committee's charge is the same as the line makers, but Georgia would open as a betting favorite against all of the other three playoff participants as of today. And I'm recording as we speak Wednesday, right at 8 p.m. Central, Wednesday, December 8th. Uh, In fact, in a hypothetical rematch, which would be in the national championship, I made Georgia minus two and a half over Alabama uh, yesterday, I believe, on Tuesday or maybe even Monday, but I believe it was yesterday, Circa posted a bettable hypothetical national championship line, Georgia minus one. So they were in line with my opinion that Georgia would be favored by minus two and a half. But Georgia is considered still, despite that loss, to be, from a power ranking standpoint anyway, a slight favorite over even the Alabama team that defeated it so decisively uh, this past weekend. Griffin, getting back to Robert Griffin III, his primary argument seemed to be that Cincinnati was undefeated and won its conference championship, while Georgia had one loss and did not win its conference championship. You know, as a handicapper who closely examines and makes power rankings on teams for the ultimate purpose of identifying betting opportunities, I won't even reach uh, at that low-hanging fruit and point out my issues uh, with Mr. Griffin's assessment. Uh, But again, differing opinions, uh, and this is certainly quite subjective, no question about it, but differing opinions, they're they're part of what makes sports so interesting, uh, such an appealing escape from the real world for many of us. And to be clear, you know, I have great respect for Mr. Griffin's Uh, energy and enthusiasm, and also the fact he's not afraid uh, to issue an opinion, uh, even if it might be 
unpopular with some of his viewers. So I, I, I appreciate that and respect it. Uh, in this case, though, personally, I just don't agree with his take uh, on the Cincinnati versus Georgia seating question. Now, finally, to the uh, title of episode 29, which we're on episode 29 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. And by now, you've probably figured out that I'm Paul Stone, but welcome. I am Paul Stone. Many of you have been uh, with me uh, from the beginning uh, of these podcasts, and uh, some of you might be listening for the first time. In either case, I appreciate you taking part of your day uh, to listen to this podcast, and hopefully you'll glean something from it. The title of today's podcast, episode 29, uh, with apologies to actor Michael J. Fox, the title today, Back to the Futures, is in plural. Get it? You know, you know Back to the Futures? Uh, thought you would like it. But the inspiration for today's title, it was a conversation earlier this week uh, that I had with someone asking my opinion on a couple of uh, Futures pools relating to college football, basically probably about the only two future pools left. And this person asked where I thought the value was at this point on betting on the Heisman Trophy winner in the ultimate national champion in college football. And let's go over those odds real quick. Uh, Odds at Circa, I believe, as of yesterday, to win the national title. Obviously, again, only four teams remain. Alabama, the favorite at plus 120, Georgia at plus 125, Michigan next at plus 700, and Cincinnati at plus 1900. And somebody might ask, you know, why is Alabama uh, the favorite or has a slightly less favorable return price than Georgia? And the fact is, this is to win the national title. And Georgia is only, I guess, a seven and a half or an eight point favorite over Michigan in the semifinal, while Alabama is, I believe, uh, gone down to 13 at some stores. So Alabama, a 13-point favorite over Cincinnati. So Georgia has a greater possibility of losing its semifinal game than does Alabama. Therefore, Alabama, the favorite to win the national title uh, at Circa. And now for the odds to win the Heisman Trophy. Most of you probably know by now, Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback uh, who hails from California, the overwhelming choice, the slam dunk choice. Uh, The trophy is probably maybe uh, already in his house by now. But Bryce Young at minus 10,000. The other three finalists being Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett at plus 2,000. Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, also from California, at plus 4,000. And then Michigan edge rusher Aiden Hutchinson at plus twenty three fifty. You know, first of all, I want to say this person asked me where the value was. At this point, betting these types of future pools, where the field has been so greatly reduced, there is no value. If you have not bet these markets by now, there are better ways to bet it, or it is just a better decision not to bet it at all. But certainly when you reduce a large field of potential winners in a pool to only a select four, the value is gone. The value would have been maybe, you know, the value is when you take a team 
you know, 50 to 60 to one that, that shows up in, in a final four like that. And you have some ability to hedge uh, to make a profit, which is what professionals uh, are kind of striving for when they do indeed take future uh, tickets at long shot prices. They hope that that ticket certainly will potentially be a winner, but will more likely produce them opportunities to somehow produce a profit based on the possession of that ticket. But there is no value when you reduce, you know, embedding into this market at this time. And, and, you know, I've talked about this before, and I'm going to repeat some things and maybe put a slightly different twist on it, but I don't advocate betting into futures pools because of the book's incredibly high hold percentage. You know, the true odds of a person or team winning an event or award and the posted betting odds, even at one of the fairer shops uh, in town, are so disparate that it's not a betting market that many true professionals are going to participate in on a regular basis. I'm not going to say never, but I think a person doing this professionally or seriously is going to be very selective in their approach to betting into these generally disadvantageous markets. I mean, if a per, you know, you look at it this way, if a person's true odds of prevailing or winning a certain event are 30 to 1, their true odds, and the house is only paying 15 to 1, even if every other book in the world is paying 12 to 1, if the true odds are 30 to 1, where's the value in that? And the correct answer, there is none. I think a lot of sports bettors tend to ignore uh, these smaller components, these betting tickets that are in their betting portfolio, uh, which, if avoided, uh, you know, could give them, or maybe in many cases would save them, rather, a chunk of their payroll. Those types of activities, you know, collectively add up. And folks, as I've said before, and I'll say over and over again, folks, it's hard to win. There are no locks. There are no easy ways to do it. You know, those of us who are, who are trying to do this are working tirelessly, are putting in tons of hours, doing tons of monotonous research and reading, hoping to hit 55% and settling for a little over 54 you know, you can't throw caution to the wind and make betting mistakes in your approach. You can't just let it roll and expect to win. You know, a, a quote I heard today, and I, I use quotes all the time in, in my sports betting and the way I conduct myself in everyday life, but a quote I heard uh, today, or maybe it was yesterday, but on a sports talk uh, show that really resonated with me was this, how you do one thing is how you do everything. I know many people are doing this, meaning sports betting for entertainment. Uh, and at their core, you know, they ultimately, if they're honest with themselves, expect to lose. And they're okay with that, I think, in many cases, as long as it doesn't, you know, spiral out of control or the losses, you know, mount to a high level. But that's not me. You know, as I've noted before on my podcast, uh, turning to PGA golfer uh, Kevin Kisner from South Carolina, who offers, uh, or offered at one point anyway, this piece of sage advice. 
And I think he even tweeted it one time. And that tweet was, I keep telling y'all, this ain't no hobby. Uh, you know, if I thought ultimately I was going to lose, I wouldn't spend the time researching, shopping around, traveling, performing all of the sometimes exhaustive elements that are quite frankly essential to a winning method, to a winning a winning way. And again, I don't think you know futures futures bets are absolutely unequivocally bad bets, but most are. And I'll get some uh, disagreement here, and that's fine. You know, I'm not into figure pointing and chest pounding if somebody's view is different than mine. My competition is not really against them, against another better. You know, they do participate in the marketplace, but that's the extent of it. I'm not in competition with them. You know, I'm trying to beat the number. I'm trying to beat the book. Uh, opinions, uh, opposing viewpoints, they make the sports betting marketplace go round. But my point, I guess, is this. I don't think anyone, even the most astute better, can overcome, over the long term, the house's extremely high and unfavorable hold percentages on futures bets and be, a, again, a long-term winner in that marketplace. You know, folks, there's a, a mathematical component to this, and you can't always be, you know, you can't always be getting the worst of it on the price and then ultimately end up getting the best of it in your wallet. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't add up, not long-term. And if a person, you know, if a person, I would say this, if a person thinks they're winning long-term betting these markets, you know, I hope they're keeping uh, meticulous records uh, to accurately and authentically uh, validate their claims. And while I'm on the subject of record keeping, let's talk a little bit about it. You know, accurate and, um, you know, precise, specific record keeping. No matter whether you're using uh, computer software uh, or use a big chief tablet and a dull number two pencil like myself, accurate record keeping is absolutely critical to really know you know, who you are, where your strengths are, what you should, you know, you got to play to your strengths. You've you got to avoid your weaknesses and sports betting is no different. We're all vulnerable, I, I believe, to thinking and believing sometimes that we're proficient betting a certain team or a certain sport. But until we have solid data, the larger the sample size, the better, we very well might be fooling ourselves. If you keep records, uh, you might be able to, you know, if you do keep records and you keep good records, you might be able to clearly uh, determine, you know, your best sport, uh, whether you perform better, you know, in this sport or some other sport. Whether your underdog bets uh, are money, uh, you know, while your bet's on the favorite, you know, well, not so much, not that good. But maybe only a quarter, you know, 25% of your wagers are on totals, and while your record betting totals is not very good, say, in college football, man, you're really good betting them in college hoops. And when you dig a little deeper, you're really good when you identify an under in college hoops. These all just being examples. Like a football team, you know, like the athletes themselves, you are an entity with strengths and weaknesses. And while their office, you know, might be the gridiron, the hardwood, uh, and the links. Yours 
ours is the computer, the sports book, and the television. You know, you must take a unbiased, introspective look at yourself and your habits, your strengths and weaknesses, inspect them, look for patterns, focus on the strengths, avoid the weaknesses. You have to do these things if you ever truly want to be the best possible betting version of yourself. Looking at this week's uh, college football card, we're down to that one-game weekend, which is usually the second Saturday in December. The only college football game on the board this week is the classic Army-Navy contest. I love this football uh, as much as any uh, single game on the uh, college football calendar each year. Uh, As of tonight, again, tonight being Wednesday, December 8th, about 8.15 p.m. Central as I record, Army is a seven-point favorite with a total of 35 points. I just don't have a strong opinion on the game, uh, the total. I mean, this is a game that myself and others have bet under historically. 35 points is really a low total, but if I'm going to bet it, I might bet, you know, a ham sandwich or a a couple of peanuts on the under, but that's not really a strong recommendation. You know, if you've got a wager something, you know, that might be a route to look, but I'm not going to offer a complimentary selection um, to be graded on this week. Uh, I just don't have a real strong opinion. The bowl games, though, one of my favorite times of the betting calendar period, regardless of sport. Uh, Those bowl games begin next Friday, that being Friday, December 17th, uh, when I return next Tuesday night, December 14th, when my next podcast, episode 30, should drop. I'll have a complimentary selection at that time on uh, an upcoming bowl game. So that's going to do it for tonight. I hope you guys are having a great start to the month of December. For now, thanks for listening. I'm Paul Stone, signing off until next time. Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And visit paulstonesports.org to sign up for member-only access to Paul's college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf picks and predictions. 